Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I am your host, Kim. is from Medicine Hat again and another one of my listener Shauna's suggestions. Um, when I started researching it, I thought I might not have enough information for a full episode, so I was kind of leaning on a mini episode, but while writing it, I came across a certain point in the story where um, your view on the victim might change a bit. And I thought to myself, now why would that be? Like, why did I even have that thought when I read it? Um, why are some actions of the victim more sympathetic than others? So let's see if you have any reaction to the point in the story where things change a bit, and we'll discuss it. This is the murder of Amy Strom Lewis. Some of you might remember back to 1984 when Harry Strom was premier of Alberta. And if you weren't from Canada, you might not even know that we had premiers. They're kind of like governors. We don't have states. We have provinces. So there's a bit of a difference. Anyways, Harry was a second generation Swede. And in the last 36 year run of the Social Credit Party, before Alberta went progressive conservative, one of his siblings had a daughter named Amy. And it's actually Amy that I'm going to be talking about today. She just happens to come from a political family. Amy was from Medicine Hat, a bit of a go-getter with an adventurous spirit. She spent two weeks in China with the girls' choir and worked for six months in Jamaica doing some mission work. Uh, And that is where she met a man that she would later marry uh, at a pretty young age, taking the surname Lewis. They later divorced, and by 23, she was back to being single. She was working with Alberta Health Services at a care home and was going to be starting her second year of nursing school at Medicine Hat College. Uh, When she finished with school, she planned on moving to Montreal. Lots of energy, athletic and gorgeous with a love for her family and animals. Amy never shied away from a challenge or a new experience. Amy was last heard from in a phone call to a friend living in Montreal on June 11, 2012. The next morning, she didn't show up for work and she wasn't answering her phone or returning her text messages from friends or her mom. Uh, Mom waited very patiently for two days and then reported her missing to the police. On June 14th, her black 2010 Honda CRV was found in the parking lot of the Park Lane Motel, or the Medicine Arts Building, depending on what source documents you go by. Uh, She wasn't in the vehicle, though, and a search of the area was done. The police put quite a bit of their focus on the South Saskatchewan River with rescue boats and helicopters, but spring flooding from snow melting in the mountains made the water very fast-flowing, and there were concerns um, that any evidence that might have been there would have been washed away. Early on in the the investigation, police suspected that Amy was deceased. Uh, They don't really give a reason for this, but likely based on her punctual nature 
and no traces of activity in her bank or social media accounts. Uh, then Amy's mom turned over some emails that she found between Amy and Mike Stiles uh, at a Gmail account. The IP address was a medicine hat address, which was connected to a 34-year-old man named Jerison Stepanski. On a hunch, the police stopped him leaving his house in his Jeep on a traffic stop that actually wasn't part of any warrant that they were executing to be able to search his house. In the vehicle, they found a laptop and an iPhone, which were both seized and both found not to be his. Uh, and more alarming, some blood on the front driver's seat and the steering wheel and his seat belt. When brought into the police station for questioning, Jerison said that he had been involved sexually with a girl named Jenny, uh, but her name kind of changed as the conversation went on to Amy. He said that he had a bit of an interesting sex life and worked in the sex trade, and Miss Amy was part of a foursome that he had been involved with with three other guys and a woman, Amy slash Jenny. He admitted that the Jeep was his and that he often went by Mike Styles when online. He also admitted to throwing out a bra and dress because they were his and he often wore woman's clothes. He was a cross-dresser and the bra and dress were his. Lastly, he admitted to them that he had cleaned the Jeep and threw out the carpet from inside, uh, not because there it was bloody, but just because it was dirty. Now, you and I are not idiots, so we know that this version of events is not true, but a guy's entitled to his version of the story. Investigators were pretty sure Jerison had killed Amy, but without a body, it was kind of hard to prove. Besides, Jerison told them, would I really be smart enough to wash my Jeep, but not burn it, and smart enough to take the SIM card out of Amy's phone, but dumb enough to keep the phone? Yes, Jerison, that's exactly what they thought. So at the time, the only charge that they could lay on Jerison was accessory after the fact to murder. Um, but at least that was the charge that they felt that they could prove to a jury. Inspector Glenn Motes told the media peeps, we do not have the body of Amy Lewis and we have not located that. As we proceed with this investigation, we are working through determining exactly what happened to her and the connection between her and the accused. And that's why we anticipate further charges as we work through this particular matter. Amy's uncle Raymond, who's a spokesperson for the family, said that he planned on attending any and all court appearances by Jerison. Quote, we want to know the facts. Meanwhile, the family started to come to the conclusion that Amy might never be found as Jerison wasn't talking. Raymond said about finding her, it would certainly help to get some closure, but some of the family have already said if she's not found, it's understandable. Uh, so I think some of the family have accepted that she might not be found. Inspector Glenn Motes also told the media that there were no signs of her in the river and that after two weeks of searching, it was being called off. Uh, Raymond didn't blame the police for no longer searching the river, saying, if you watch the river here because the Bow River flows into the South Saskatchewan, the South Saskatchewan was even higher and dirtier. The first time I went out down to the river afterwards, it's obvious why the search was called off. They did everything they possibly could to search the river and the banks. Raymond continued to say that some of the members of the family have already resigned themselves to the fact that she was already gone. Uh, but without a body, closure is really difficult, and they were concerned that they might never find her or that it could take a very long time. The Strom family had planned a family reunion for the September long weekend, so instead of that happy occasion, they held a large memorial service at the Cherry Cooley Christian Academy in Bow Island. 
And Amy's uncle Raymond said, I think one of the things the memorial really helped was to develop some closure. I'm not saying it's complete. Amy's body's still missing, but I think it really helped to gain some closure. It's a really tough thing. Um, that the DNA came back from the blood in Jerison's Jeep and matched Amy's. Justice Rodney Jerk told the court, uh, there is more to this story than we know now. So his charge was upgraded to second degree murder. And Inspector Glenn Moat said, I know that we are confident as well as the Crown with respect to the evidence we have gathered to support this charge. We have no significant evidence right now as we stand today that would bring any clearer direction or location to where her whereabouts are. But what was discovered was a bit of information about Jerison's past sexual history. In the days leading up to Amy's disappearance, they discovered a woman, known in the court documents as Miss E, uh, told investigators that a couple of days before Amy disappeared, she answered an online ad for sex in exchange for money. Though this wasn't traditional prostitution that he was looking for under the name of Mike Stiles posing as a doctor, like a sex worker, but Jerison liked women that were in need of money and willing to offer sexual favors in exchange for money. Uh, which I realize is kind of the same thing, but he liked women that at least pretended that it was the first time that they had ever done that. Um, and he said that he would never actually have sex with a prostitute because it's dangerous and disgusting, according to him. Now, Miss E had done this kind of thing before, but she was pretty adept at making it seem as if she was innocent and that it was her first time. Miss E reported that she had met Jerison at his Jeep and she got a bad feeling as soon as she got in and saw handcuffs. Her hands were tied and he made her lay face down with her face actually pressed into the door of the Jeep. He verbally assaulted her while he had sex with her. Uh, she felt lucky to have gotten out of there, mostly unharmed. The day before Amy disappeared, which is June 10th, Jerison had sex with another woman that he met online that also said that she was tied up. The sex was rough and handcuffs were, handcuffs were used on her as well. That same day, he also had sex with one of his several girlfriends. Seems Jerison was a busy guy with a propensity for violence. I will be right back after these brief messages. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Evidence showed that sometime on June 10th, the same day that he was having rough sex with a stranger and consensual sex with one of his many girlfriends, he received an email from Amy in response to an ad. She needed money for a school and offered to meet Jerison the next day for a massage and oral sex. There is no evidence that Amy had ever engaged in this kind of arrangement before. And here is the point that perhaps a few of you might have thought to yourself, ah, I see, there is the rub. Um, Not that she got what she deserved for selling sex, because none of you I trust would go that far, but that she engaged in some risky behavior, didn't tell anybody about it, and became a victim as a result. But here's the thing when it comes to sexual assault and murder. Now, I have access to my demographics, so I know that a majority of you are in the 35 to 55 age range. Attitudes towards sex as a commodity, and particularly attitudes towards oral sex, have changed since we were young women. I was reading an article in Psychology Today that looked at sex as a pure economical transaction, and it was interesting that Roy Baumeister of the Florida State University says that a woman's sexual consent is a valuable asset that may command a high price. But looking at female sexuality as property, there are two parts to it. The first part, a woman's very interest in sex, is an asset that is not degradable. Your willingness to have sex never goes down in value. Potential female sex has intrinsic value. The second part, her reputation, is an inherently degradable property. Studies show that women judge sexually permissive women more harshly than do men. In general, women tend to hold more negative views towards those behaviors that contribute to lowering the price of sex. So smart girls have learned to conceal their sexual activities in order to protect their reputation and thereby the value or price of their sexuality. When asked how many sex partners we've had, we tend to divide it in half, whereas men tend to double it. The other thing that is interesting is that Science Daily reviewed a study done at the University of Alberta regarding young women and sex. 50% of women aged 18 to 25 viewed oral sex as much less intimate than intercourse, and 30% of the women reported feeling powerful when performing oral sex. Now, part of the problem, of course, is the mixed messages that women get regarding their sexuality. Young women are criticized for being over-sexualized, and then on the other hand, they are encouraged to freely express their sexuality. The problem with oral sex isn't the doing it or the view that it's not a very intimate act. It's that too many young men and women aren't aware that STIs can still be transmitted orally and that some men will murder you. Now, if we're all being honest, we know that hookups for casual sex have been a thing that both men and women partake in, whether you're straight or LGBTQ2S. Back in my day, if you wanted a hookup, you had to go to a bar, take your chances that on that night would be someone vaguely interesting enough to go home with. 
and go home with, we did. Like we took chances back then. It's why women aged 18 to 25 are statistically the most likely to be murdered. They don't see risk when they find someone attractive enough to get naked with. Um, Now there's no judgment on that. It is just a brain wiring growth thing. These days there's Tinder and Bumble. And apparently now my kids are 23 to 25. So I know this stuff, but this money for sex thing is totally a thing. Lots of girls do it. Usually instead of cash, they ask for gift cards so it doesn't feel quite like prostitution. And then they offer what they are willing to do for, say, a $100 gift card to the Gap or whatever. So in Amy's case, the money or gift card, whatever it was, was worth to her a massage and a blowjob. Nothing more. So kinky, angry sex or being sodomized wasn't what she had in mind. And Jerison figured like for $50 or a hundred bucks, whatever, he could do whatever he wanted. And when she didn't agree, he got mad and likely strangled her. Now I'm not putting any judgments on Amy about it. I mean, if you look at it logically in her mind, she gets to pick the guy. So she doesn't have to do it with some guy that she finds gross or some 50 year old guy with a daughter, her own age. And if the sex isn't good, at least you got a $50 gift card or 50 bucks out of the deal. The problem is that it's risky. So this maybe answers the question for you, why on earth would a good and bright and vibrant young woman from a good home with loving parents sell massage and oral sex for money? The answer is because she likely didn't see it as risky behavior. She didn't tell anyone because she knew that there was going to be judgments on her about it, and she didn't see what she was doing as dangerous. That's my take anyways. Interestingly, the article from Psychology Today says that when women are given the same access to resources, equal pay, and equality, the selling of sex decreases. So there's that. Anyways, back to the story. In 2014, Jerison, realizing now there was a mountain of evidence pointing to him as a murderer, he pled guilty to manslaughter as a plea bargain to avoid a life sentence. He was sentenced to seven years with time already served, and that worked out to another four and a half years. With his guilty plea taken as a sign of remorse and a mitigating factor reducing his sentence. The Strom family, who are remarkably zen and forgiving and accepting about Amy's fate, Raymond just said of the sentence, there are those that think the decision was not adequate, perhaps not as harsh as it could be. But we understand that we live in a society where we accept what the law has to say, what it has to offer, and the protections that it gives us as citizens. Um, Some of Amy's family gave victim impact statements. Her uncle Ray said, true justice may not occur in this life. True justice is beyond this life. I'm reminded there is an ultimate justice who will judge all, and it is not our place to determine whether justice was served here or not. I can be assured true justice will be served someday, even if some think it is not served now. Her brother Ian talked about how hard it is to explain Amy's death to the children in the family, and her mom Janet told the court that besides the numbness, confusion, and deep sorrow that she feels, she also feels jealousy that other families get to walk behind a casket for closure. In response, mostly to Ian's comments, when given a chance to speak, Jerison said, I have no words of wisdom to give you people. Don't let yourself become victims. Don't. Thanks, Sherlock. Maybe don't let yourself be a murderer. Just don't. 
Uh, but a couple of things that really annoy me about all of this. Now, first, Jerison obviously wasn't all that remorseful because he never revealed where Amy's remains are. The statement of facts also never revealed what he did to her and the circumstances of her death, which I would think is the whole point of a statement of facts. All that it said was from Jerison's defense lawyer, Clinton Yershenko, that had the nerve to tell the court that Amy did not suffer much. That is an actual quote from his lawyer. I have no idea that you could be that insensitive in a courtroom to a family's feelings, especially when Raymond was pretty clear that he wanted the facts. No matter how hard they are to hear, we want to know what happened. All Jerison did was reveal that he killed her sometime in the early morning hours of June 12th and only a few hours after they had first met. In addition to his seven-year sentence, Jerison was given a lifetime weapons ban and had to provide a DNA sample. He was released just before Christmas in 2017, two years early on parole, and told that he had to advise his parole officer of any new relationships and couldn't contact anyone in the Strom or Lewis family. His parole decision read in part, There are many unresolved issues related to this incident, including the fact that the body was never recovered. The impact on the victim's family has been devastating and no closure has occurred. While you have periodically disclosed new information related to the offense, you continue to withhold or are selective about what and how much information you are prepared to share. In the board's opinion, these actions continue to demonstrate your issues with power and your need for you to always feel like you were the one in control. Um, again, I do not understand why parole boards word their decisions like this. I mean, basically, we th- we still think you're a terrible person and show no remorse, but we're going to let you out early. It's very strange. As far as the matter of not telling anyone where Amy's body is, that likely was on the advice of his lawyer. And I say that because although Canada does have a version of the double jeopardy law where you can't be tried twice for the same crime if convicted or acquitted, Um, But we also don't have the one act, one crime law. So it makes sense to plead to manslaughter if the judge allows it. First and second degree murder come with a life sentence automatically. So even if you get out on parole in 10 years, you are still on parole with conditions for the rest of your life. But with manslaughter, once you serve your sentence, you are free and clear. So if he were to now tell someone where she is, or if he had done it at the time of his plea, then they could have essentially come back with other charges like maybe indignity to human remains, which adds another five years. So I'm pretty sure that his lawyer told him not to say anything, as frustrating as that is. I mean, not I'm not giving him a pass on it. It's just what I think happened and why he kept that information out of his statement of agreed facts. Uh, but I don't think it really matters now anyways, because... Late on the evening of July 2nd, 2022, a 911 call came in from a house in Empress. Two officers responded from the Owen RCMP detachment to a mental health call. In the early morning hours of July 3rd, the man had died by suicide with the police unable to stop him in time. Uh, The man, although going by a different name, was Jerison Stepanski. At least that's what Medicine Hat News reported. But regarding the incident, Constable Mazaroff of the ONRCMP said, we don't identify persons in cases cases like this. There's nothing criminal that we are looking into, but there is still an open investigation at this time. Uh, But it was his neighbors that had said that he had moved into the neighborhood about a year before with a woman going by a pseudonym. 
uh, but they learned who he was and were uneasy about him living there. Amy's family said, as nothing has been confirmed by police, there will not be a statement by the family at this time. So who knows the truth about that incident and if Jerison is in fact dead. Uh, if he is, he died before letting anyone know what he did to Amy and where he left her. And the family is, of course, left without that closure, being able to put Amy to rest properly. And that was the murder of Amy Lewis. Thank you to Shauna for the suggestion. I hope that you're going to join me again next week for another case. I also hope that you will take the time to spread the word, do your rate, review, subscribe thing. And don't forget to sign up for the exclusive content. There's a lot of very interesting episodes in there. I put just as much work, if not more, into them. Uh, and when you subscribe, all of my episodes are free from ads. As always, thank you so much for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.